a true crime story and we drink. The following content may be disturbing to some. Discretion is advised. If you choose to enjoy one of our themed margaritas, please ensure that you are of legal drinking age and have fun but drink responsibly. Mounds in Labette County, Kansas, are named for the infamous Bender family, John, his wife, son, and daughter Kate, who settled there in 1871. Kate soon gained notoriety as a self-proclaimed healer and spiritualist. Secretly, the four made a living through robbery and murder. Although stories abound, the ultimate fate of the Bender family is uncertain. What is known, however, is what they did when they lived in their one-room home on a main road traveled by many. It involved a curtain, a hammer, a trap door, and a very well-fertilized orchard. Today's Margs and Mayhem Margarita comes from a Margs and Mayhem fan. It's really nice because it ups the game of a pre-made margarita mix. So we'll start with a pre-made margarita. There's actually a specific one recommended in the recipe in the description box, but I couldn't find that one. So I went ahead and went with this one, which is actually nice because it's carbonated. I love a carbonated drink. We're doing four parts of the pre-made margarita mix. To this, we are going to just add four parts of Limeade. She recommended the Simply brand, not sponsored, but it could be. We're gonna do an equal amount of that, so four parts of the limeade. Because I like my margaritas just a little bit stronger, I'm gonna add one part of tequila as well. This is going to be a nice big drink today. We will, and remember, take my word for it, shake the drink gently. And I mean super gently, the lid wants to come off, I promise. We will bougie bougie strain over fresh ice in a salt rimmed glass today for a delicious strawberry margarita, the Rosita. After decades of simmering tensions in the Northern and Southern United States over slavery, states' rights, and other issues, the Civil War erupted on April 12th, 1861. Upon the election of Abraham Lincoln, 11 states seceded from the Union and formed the Confederate States of America. In four years, the Civil War, which ended on April 9, 1865, with the Confederate surrender, saw 620,000 soldiers killed, many more maimed, and much of the southern United States left in ruin. The Homestead Acts were several laws enacted during and after the Civil War that allowed American citizens the ability to acquire land. The law provided that any American citizen could acquire up to 160 acres of basically free land. They agreed to improve upon their acres by building a homestead and by cultivating the land. This effectively granted carte blanche stealing of indigenous land across the Western United States. Kansas, if you remember, was a very important piece to the beginning of the Civil War, and after the Civil War, it became home to many of the soldiers who were just seeking peace after the horrors of war. 
The government made it an easy, cheap thing to do, and the Bender family were among them. John Bender and his wife Elvira, who were European immigrants and spoke almost no English, moved to the land once settled by the Osage Indians. The Osage were an immediate casualty of the Homestead Acts. In 1870, John and Elvira moved with their children, John and Kate, to a plot of land just outside of what would become Cherryvale, Kansas. John and John Jr. moved there first, registering the land and building a log cabin, one room. They had first dug a cellar, so the cabin was above a cellar. They also built a barn with a corral and dug a well. In the fall of 1871, Elvira and daughter Kate joined them on the farm. Fun fact, John Jr. might not have actually been John Jr. It's also possible that John Jr. might have been more of a son-in-law rather than a son. It's possible that Kate and John Jr. were secretly married. It seems like they hid that fact to make Kate appear more appealing to the local men. More on that later. Kate and John Jr. spoke English, and so they did all the translating for Elvira and John. They divided their cabin into two parts with a simple wagon cloth. And to make some extra money, they began to open their home to travelers who were making their way through Kansas. The family lived in the back quarters behind the curtain, and then in front of the curtain, they had a big, heavy dining room table where people would join them and they would serve meals. That side also had shelves and a counter where they would sell canned goods, cloth, and other basic staples that people might need as they were traveling across the United States. Their location was convenient, right off of the Osage Trail. The Osage Trail was traveled by many. It started in Missouri, went through Kansas, and then through Colorado and into New Mexico. The Benders also had an extra draw, pretty Kate. Kate was known across the county, not just for her beauty, but also for her psychic and healing abilities. She was known to perform seances and other crude rituals for the travelers who, who came to their, their inn. There was no shortage of people wanting to stay with the Benders and listen to the mystical, magical Kate. It didn't hurt that Kate was charming, very obviously intelligent, and had a sparkling personality. She also had a fully and finely curved figure, according to many. But the Benders were far more than boarding house hosts and a clairvoyant. They were serial killers. When the Benders had a guest in their home, they would invite them to dinner, of course. They would lead them to the seat of honor, right in front of that wagon curtain. Everyone would begin to eat. Everyone, of course, except one of the men, either John or John Jr., would be standing behind that wagon curtain, holding a hammer. At the exact right moment, they would pop out from behind the curtain and bludgeon the unsuspecting guest, either killing them immediately or, at the very least, rendering them unconscious. The victim would be dropped into the cellar via that trap door that John and John Jr. had built, and if they weren't dead yet, Elvira or Kate would finish them off by slicing their throat. They would then either be buried whole or dismembered and then buried in the family's apple orchard. Despite being outsiders, the Bender family really did get along quite well in the community. Kate and John Jr. were regulars at church. 
and Kate often held seances in the Carpenter Schoolhouse in Cherryvale. Don't worry, though, she wasn't leading the seances for school children. The schoolhouse was often used as a community center in small towns. John Jr. was known to laugh at anything all the time and even sometimes laugh at nothing at all. He was tall and slender, and some in the community thought he might have a disability based on his giddiness at everything and nothing. The parents were much less visible in the community. John Sr. also liked to joke, and his really thick accent made the jokes seem even funnier to those people who were visiting the inn. Most saw Elvira, the serious, permanently frowning woman, as a good cook. Rumors began to swirl around the Bender cabin and really swirled for years. A local who had stopped in for the night thought he had heard John Sr. murdering a man outside of the cabin one night. Another woman claimed to have been chased around the cabin by a knife-wielding Kate. But rumors don't always hold weight. And there wasn't time to investigate random strangers who had disappeared, so the benders were mostly left alone. Life on the trail was inherently dangerous for those going west. People disappearing on the trail could easily be explained away as unfortunate encounters with indigenous, disease, difficulties with deep rivers, or encounters with bandits. But in March of 1873, the disappearances could no longer be ignored. That's because of the disappearance of a very well-known Kansas physician, Dr. William Henry York. He disappeared almost immediately after getting off the train at Cherryvale. Dr. York was a very well-connected man, and his two brothers, one a U.S. Army colonel and another a Kansas State Senator, were determined to discover what had happened to their lost brother. When the Benders became implicated in the crime, Elvira flew into a violent, passionate rage, screaming abuse at anyone who came to the cabin to investigate. Colonel York himself visited the Bender homestead and John Jr. opened the door. Yes, he had seen Dr. York, he said. He had eaten the noon meal with them on March 9th. John said he thought Dr. York must have been killed at Drum Creek, even saying that he himself had been shot at once there before. They went to look, finding a freshly dug grave, and quickly dug it up, only to discover that it was a buried hog. Returning to the homestead, they found an eager Kate, ready to help the Colonel York find his brother, using her mystical talents. She urged Colonel York to return in five days, where she would find his brother, even if he was, quote, in hell, end quote. Around the same time, the township held a meeting, which John and John Jr. both attended. It was at this meeting that they decided that every single home in the township would be searched to look for evidence of Dr. York's disappearance. Unfortunately, as often happens with Kansas, a late in the season winter storm came and there was a lot of snow. This delayed the, the searches of the township homes. A neighbor eventually noticed that the Bender homestead had been abandoned. He actually saw the farm animals wandering around the homestead looking quite hungry. When he went to investigate, he saw that the, the homestead was empty with the exception of some food and some clothing. At first, 
The people of Cherryvale believed that the Benders might have been the next victim of whoever was murdering people in the Cherryvale area. But when one of the men opened the trap door at the homestead, the horrifying discovery removed that theory immediately. The smell hit them instantly, foul and sharp. The cellar itself was covered in layers of clotted blood. Horrified, they realized they had found their murderers. Going with the most logical place to find the bodies, they actually moved the entire cabin off of the cellar and began to dig into the basement, into the cellar, seeing if they could find any bodies but they didn't find anything there. Then a neighbor or two mentioned that the orchard and the garden always did seem freshly plowed. So volunteers moved to that area, digging through the night. They did find Dr. York first. His head had been bashed in at the back and his throat had been slit. And the bodies kept coming. All in all, it's estimated that they killed upwards of 20 people. Most of the victims had been adult men, but two of the victims had been children including an infant that had either been killed by strangulation or had actually been buried alive. Nice. All in all, these murders netted the Benders a couple of thousand dollars, which is about $40,000 in today's money. Not a small penny. As well as some livestock. The investigators were able to piece together how the murders occurred, both by using the bodies and by using some pretty interesting witness statements. Two men told almost identical stories about what had happened when they had visited the Bender homestead. They had both been offered the seat of honor, but had refused, which had made Elvira extremely angry. And then suddenly, John and John Jr. had popped out from behind the curtain. It was then that both men realized it was time to get the heck out of there. Definitely 100% a very good idea and saved their lives. As happened pretty much any time there was a murder in the 19th century, people showed up. Yay, souvenir time. They took apart the cabin piece by piece, taking home pieces as souvenirs. And what happened to the Benders? Immediately, Dr. York's brother, the Kansas State Senator, offered a reward of $1,000, which is about $20,000 in today's money, for the capture of the Bender family. The governor of Kansas offered an additional what would be considered $40,000, making the total reward $60,000. But that money was never claimed. Detectives following wagon tracks discovered the Bender's wagon abandoned. One of the horses had been injured. They had bought train tickets and gone to Humboldt, Texas. But at Chanute, the four of them bought train tickets to Humboldt, Kansas. But at Chanute, Kate and John Jr. got off the train. They then headed for an outlaw colony that was located between the border of Texas and New Mexico. Outlaw colonies were a favorite hiding place of the Old West outlaw gangs, and it was likely the best move. Officials often wouldn't pursue people who headed towards the outlaw colonies, as that was a quick way to sign your own death certificate. Elvira and John headed north to Kansas City, and then it's believed to St. Louis. A vigilante group that formed to find the Bender family allegedly found them, shot John, John Jr., and Elvira, and burned Kate alive. That seems unlikely, however, since no one claimed the $3,000 reward. Kate 
John, John Jr., and Elvira continued to be spotted in various combinations around the country for many years after their gruesome crimes were discovered. In one very weird tale, someone matching John Bender's description was arrested in Boise, Idaho. In one particularly weird tale, someone matching John Bender's description was arrested in Salmon, Idaho. This was for a murder committed by a hammer to the head. Before a deputy from Cherryvale could arrive to see if this was John Bender, the suspect severed his foot by trying to escape the leg irons and bled to death. Though they couldn't identify him, the skull of this man believed to be John Bender was labeled as Paw Bender and was displayed in a salmon saloon until in 1920 it was closed due to prohibition. The skull then disappeared, so who knows if it was him. Let's talk a little bit about serial killers, shall we? We've profiled a few on Mars and Mayhem, but we're gonna go a little bit deeper today. So psychologists say that there are four different types of serial killers. Number one, hedonistic. These serial killers are compelled by the sheer thrill of the kill. This could be for sexual gratification, for financial gain, or just because they can. I think a good example of this could be Belle Gunness, who we profiled last month, the one who killed all of those men for, you know, some cash. Another one of these might be the, the soap maker of Correggio. Woof. Number two, power slash control. They enjoy the hunt and the process of the murder. A good example of this would be someone we're gonna profile later, BTK or Dennis Rader. Three, mission-oriented. This type of serial killer is driven by a mission to rid society of a specific kind of person. They might target someone based on race, gender, their job, or their sexual orientation. Even though he's never been identified, probably the most famous example of this is the 19th century British killer, Jack the Ripper, who specifically targeted women. And number four, visionary. This type of killer kills because they believe someone or something is commanding them to do this. Son of Sam is a good and really weird example of this, and man, does that guy deserve his own episode. Yeah, he's the one that claimed his neighbor's dog made him do it. Ugh. Family serial killers, meaning families who kill together multiple people, are incredibly rare. In fact, the Benders are probably the most well-known family serial killers, and I'm guessing you've never even heard of them. So when we're talking about motive, all we basically have to go on is the actual crimes themselves. Not much of anything is known about their lives before the murders, and absolutely nothing is known about their lives after they ran away after the murders. Because of how quickly they committed the crimes, I think we can really rule out the power and control motive. I'm no psychologist, but it doesn't seem like the victims in these crimes were really like sought after or hunted in any sort of way. I don't think they would have gained a lot of satisfaction from getting power over the people that they just basically invited over and killed before dinner had ended. I don't think that the victims indicate in any way that the Benders were mission-oriented serial killers, unless their targeted group was wayward travelers. So that leaves us with hedonistic and visionary. I think probably either one are equally likely considering we don't really know much about the Bender family background. 
But if I had to render an only mildly educated guess, I would say that I think the Bender family were visionary serial killers. How else could four people with four individual brains be convinced that this wasn't the most terribly awful thing they could possibly do? They didn't get much money or livestock from the people that they killed. And it seems peculiar that they would all find the thrill in the kill. It seems much more likely, in my opinion, that there was some sort of twisted just belief system that all of them had. A belief system in which something or someone was commanding them that they needed to murder these people. So what do you think? Were the Bender family killing for hedonistic reasons for the thrill of the kill? Or was something commanding them to do it? What happened to the Bender family after they parted ways? And what about Kate and John Jr.? Brother and sister or husband and wife? Why the heck did they kill all these people? And why did they do it all together? And let's talk about murder in the 19th century. Could you really just get away with anything back then? Historians believe that the bloody Benners weren't really related in any way to one another. The only two that they think might have been related were Elvira and Kate, mother and daughter. They also suspect that none of them had the surname of Bender. Turns out that Elvira might have been married several times before she married John, but all of those guys died of head wounds. And as I said before, it's highly unlikely that John Jr. was actually John Jr., but was in fact Kate's husband and maybe named Thomas. None of the Benders, or whoever they were, were ever caught or successfully prosecuted for the estimated 20 people that they murdered. They simply hopped off a train and vanished into thin air. The dang 1800s, am I right? In February of 2020, the 152 acres of land that once belonged to the Bloody Benders was sold as part of a larger auction. Their land sold for about $300,000. The owners who sold the land had not made any attempts to excavate it since they had purchased it in the 1950s. The timber cabin where the murders took place was long gone, as it had been whisked away by souvenir seekers, and the barn and the well had long since also gone away. The only thing left to mark this dark part of Kansas history is a historical marker. I read from that in the intro of today's episode. To this date, the story of the Bloody Benders is unsolved and remains one of the greatest unsolved mysteries of the Old West. Thanks for hanging out with me. As always, reviews, likes, and subscribes are always super duper appreciated. These episodes, as you can imagine, take many, many hours of work, and a review can't possibly take that long, can it? If you have feedback or ideas for cases or margaritas, head over to our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and all the links are in the description box. We're headed down under next week for our next installment of Mini Mayhem. This one involves a fizzy apple take on the margarita, as well as the stealing of a penguin. I'll see you next week. And remember, there are always alternatives to murder as a family affair. <laughs>